Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Hemman. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel Ohio. Luke chapter 1, you there? Fantastic. Now, we're back in Luke chapter 1 tonight because when we started our series in the Gospel of Luke this fall, we skipped over the last part of chapter 1 and chapter 2 because it involves the Christmas story. And so we said, you know what, we'll save that and we'll come back to that at Christmas time. And so listen, here we are already. Can't believe it. It's Christmas time. And so our text tonight is Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 56, and in it we are going to see the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, highlighted for us. And Mary was incredibly amazing as a young woman, and so this passage is just chock full of great lessons of faith for us. Now take a look with me at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, in the sixth month... Well, right off the bat, we're asking ourselves, well, what six month? <laughs> well, listen, this is referring back to the story that is introduced in the first part of Luke chapter one. And we unpacked that story a few months ago. And so just kind of to remind us and to bring us up to speed, Luke opens with this story about a married couple by the name of Zachariah and Elizabeth. And Zachariah was a priest and Elizabeth was his wife, and they were way beyond childbearing years, if you remember. That is, they were too old, way too old in their hundreds to have children. And so uh, an angel by the name of Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him they were going to have a child, and, and it would be a miracle of God. And they were to name that child John, and he would be a great man of God, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah of Jesus. And so Elizabeth does get pregnant, and she is in her sixth month of pregnancy. And so this is what in the sixth month is referring to here in verse 26. Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. Verse 26 again. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel, that is the same angel that appeared to Zechariah, was sent from who? God. That is, God is always the one who initiates with us. God is always the one who moves first. That is, we love God because He first loved us. When we unpacked that in detail last week, God pursues us first. And so when it comes to God moving, He is always the one who is pursuing. He is always the one moving towards us. To a city of Galilee named what? Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a small rural town. It was located between two bigger cities, and it was comprised mainly of small farms. There there was no indoor plumbing. You know, they had to draw the water that they needed to use. And so it was a rural, blue-collar village. That was Nazareth. Verse 26 again. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, verse 27, to a virgin, what? Betrothed to a man. Now, betrothal is not a concept that we use a lot today or perhaps are familiar with, but in those days, the parents would arrange marriages between their children. And so when they were old enough to be married, and and Bible scholars agree that Joseph and Mary were between 13 years old and 17 years old, and Joseph was most likely older. And so listen, Mary was probably in junior high, and Joseph was high school age. That is, they were very, very young, especially according to our cultural standards today. But they would have a formal ceremony where they agreed and made a commitment to to get married, and the parents would agree as well. And then they would wait 12 months in order uh, to, to have the actual wedding ceremony and before they actually consummated their vows. Now, this 12-month waiting period that they were in was called the betrothal period, but it was considered the same as if they were married, just like they were married. And so it carried a lot more weight than what we would call the engagement period today. Verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was what? Mary. Now, there's a few things that I want to point out about Mary here because religious art and tradition kind of can give us some wrong ideas. For example, it's why I don't really prefer pictures of Jesus. It's kind of a a soapbox thing for me. That is, you know, Jesus' picture is he's got really long, flowy hair, like he's on a Breck shampoo commercial, and he's a little effeminate looking, and and he has blue eyes. <laughs> well, well, listen, that is not a correct picture. That is, Jesus was a Hebrew, and he was a carpenter. He was a craftsman. He was a man's man, and so oftentimes. Uh, our artists' renderings can give us wrong ideas. And so likewise, when many people think of Mary and Joseph, they kind of think of these little figurines in a nativity scene, right, that you set on your coffee table or something like that. Or in particular, with Mary herself, she's usually pictured in her 30s, and she's in this expensive, beautiful robe and usually has this big glow around her head, right? Have you seen that? Well, again, that, that's a wrong picture because the Bible says she was very, very young. She was a, a junior high age. She was poor. She had tattered clothes and sandals. She was from a working class village. Verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O what? Favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, the Greek word here for favored one is called karito, and it has the idea of very highly favored or highly blessed. That is, God ultimately chose Mary out of all the women of history to bear his son. So that's kind of very, very highly favored, right? But notice that Mary didn't get a big house. She didn't get a great career. She didn't get her private jet. Now, I only say that today because in modern evangelicalism, there is a way overemphasis of equating God's favor 
with success and material blessing. Not that God doesn't sometimes do that, but man, there is just like this overemphasis on that uh, to an extreme. Verse 29. But she was what? Greatly troubled. Now that word means petrified. <laughs> that is, she's, she's freaking out <laughs> in this moment, which you can understand. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. That is, she's having this supernatural encounter with Gabriel, and Gabriel was a phenomenal angel. An angel of God appears her, and she isn't quite sure is this going to go well, or is this thing going to go south? Should I start running? Verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the what? Son of the Most High, that is Mary, the prophesied Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one that you've heard about all your life, the one that you learned about in Sunday school in the synagogue, that one, you will bear him. Verse 32, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, that is since the beginning of time, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and the perfect world that God had created was broken. And sin entered it, and disease and death entered into the picture of this perfection that God created, and it was shattered. And so at that time, God spoke to the serpent, the devil, and he said to them that through the offspring of Eve will come a son, and you will wound him, but he will crush your head. He will destroy you. And so from the very beginning, God's answer to human sin and rebellion and death and separation was a man who would come through the line of Eve and he would be wounded, but Satan would be defeated. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God extends that promise. He continues that promise into the life of Abraham and he chooses Abraham, and he says, your seed, your offspring will save the world, and you will bless all the families of the earth. And that blessing was passed on to his son Isaac, and then to Jacob, whose name ultimately became Israel, and it was passed down to King David, and on and on and on. And so now here, this offspring, this prophesied son, from the very beginning of time, is about to invade earth, and his name is Jesus. Verse 33 continues. And of his kingdom, that is the kingdom of God. And listen, we've been unpacking Luke. And so we've seen this kingdom breaking in that Jesus is all about proclaiming 
to his people. Listen, the kingdom of God is breaking in through me. It is coming in greater power and greater authority, and I'm coming to restore all that was lost. And so how long will God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, ultimately last? Verse 33 continues, there will be no end. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am, I'm a virgin. That is, you know, I've never had physical relations with a man. How how can I get pregnant? I mean, how's how's that going to work? Now, I think it's important that we see that Mary was not expressing unbelief in what was being said. She just had some normal questions. That is, she believes what, what God is saying. She just doesn't understand. She, she is just asking, you know, given the fact that I, I've never been with a man, and you know, how is this all going to work? How is that all going to play out? That is, listen, God is not angry with us when we have questions. That is, he can handle it. That is, when you have questions, ask him. <laughs> It is okay with him. He he knows them anyway. That is ultimately, listen, I, I believe fully in what God says, but I still have questions. I still have questions because reality involves an infinite God interacting in me and in a world that is finite through a finite people. And so given that, there are a lot of tensions with that. There is a ton of mystery with how that all looks and how do we understand that. And so I don't really fully understand what God is doing and how he will fulfill his word, how he will accomplish all that he has promised, but I do not doubt that he will. His word always comes to pass. For one thing, he has proved it over and over again in the past. His word will always come true. And so the virgin birth is just an example of that. It defies human wisdom. It defies our rationale to solve every aspect of it. And yet the cool thing is, is God is not limited to my small mind. That he's actually greater. That the God I serve, I actually can't figure him out. He can figure me out. I can't figure him out. I think I'm okay with that. If I can figure out God, I'm in trouble, right? He's a small God. He is outside of me. He is outside of creation. He is above creation. He can do anything. Anything. Verse 35. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That is, this will be a total God thing. This is not a natural conception. This is a supernatural conception. That is, this this isn't going to spring forth from the fruit of a man. This will be done 
by the third person of the Godhead, by the Holy Spirit himself. And so therefore, Jesus would be both divine and human, the God-man. Jesus is, listen, 100% God and 100% man. Now, theologians call this the hypostatic union for all you eggheads out there, right? You're into that, right? I am. Probably nobody else is. They call it the hypostatic union. That is taking the divine nature and human nature and perfectly bringing them together into one person. And thus, Jesus would be called, verse 35 continues, therefore, the child to be born will be called what? Holy, the Son of God, verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, I love this because this is so good. This is exactly how God works. It is the power of biblical community. It is the reason that we do life together. That is, the angel is telling Mary here about Elizabeth. And how God has done a miracle in her life six months prior. Now, not the same miracle, but something really similar. That is, God will always place someone in your life, listen, that is six months ahead of you in the process that knows what you're going through, it, that, that's been there, uh, that has gone through something similar that you have to, to walk through. And so, we can take a look at their life and we can gain strength and be encouraged and see how God touched them and guided them. And, and so ultimately, God does not want to take our faith journey alone. And God didn't want Mary to take her faith journey alone. And so she gave her Elizabeth. Verse 37. For nothing will be what? Impossible with God. Now, let me ask you, what do you need? What do you need? What, what, what issue do you have that only God can help? What problem, what situation, what disease, what provision that God is the only option. Well, may I remind us tonight what God's word clearly says. Nothing is impossible with God. He is willing to act. He is able to act on our behalf. And so ultimately, listen, we trust Him. We believe Him. We believe in who He says He is. And we believe in what He says He will do. Verse 37 again. For nothing. In the Greek, that means nothing. will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. What? 
according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be to me according to your word. What an amazing response. What an amazing response of faith and obedience. That is, God, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm, I'm not my own. I am your servant. Your will be done. And so listen, that is to be our posture as well as we become, as we come before the God, listen, who can do all things, to whom nothing is impossible, to whom we are asking of him great things in faith. That our posture is, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. I am not my own. I am your servant. Do unto me according to your word. That is, listen, God in his goodness often fulfills our desires. He does. He often fulfills what we ask of him. He often fulfills our plans and and our dreams. But listen, sometimes he doesn't. And so we need to remain flexible and humble. That is, most people come to God with their script of what they expect God to do. For example, God, you know, I want to marry so-and-so. And listen, I I want to have this kind of career and I I want to have this house and I want this many kids and I want to drive these kind of cars and I want to go on these kind of vacations. And listen, I should be able to upgrade over my life. and, And listen, those are not bad things in and of themselves, but the attitude that goes with it is, God, here is my script. This is what I expect from you. This is what I want you to do. Now you go and bless it, and if you don't, you're not God, and I don't like you. Now think with me here. Certainly Mary had her dreams, her hopes, her plans. Right? For example, she's probably thinking, I'm going I'm to marry Joseph. He, he's, he's a wonderful guy, and we're going to have a great wedding celebration. And listen, my dress is going to fit. I'm not going to waddle. And, and we're going to have a, a great honeymoon together, and we'll build a home and a life together, and we'll be good people, and our our neighbors will... Think well of us and listen, God totally rewrites her script and her response was not my will, God, but yours. Yours be done. Now often rather than surrender, Rather than humility and trust before God, we, we in similar situations just kick and scream. We get mad at God. We feel cheated by God.
And if he doesn't deliver on our script, on our plan, sometimes we even walk away from him. But Mary understood what it meant to follow God. That is, you know what? God doesn't sugarcoat what it means for us ultimately to follow him. That is, it will cost us to follow Jesus. Anybody who tells you different is selling you selling you beachfront in the swampland. It will cost us, but listen, it will always be what is absolutely best for us. That is Mary saying yes to God. Listen, she was ultimately giving up possibly her marriage. I mean, just kind of put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a minute. Your bride comes to you and says, listen, uh, Joseph, I just need to tell you I'm pregnant. Um, It's not another guy. It was God. And by the way, my my baby, ultimately my child, he's going to be the Messiah. You know, the guy we learned about in Sunday school, he's going to be Jesus, (laughs) the one who's going to save the world. Now, if you're Joseph, are you buying that? Come on, guys. Anybody buying that line from... Yeah, no, no way. Now, now Mary had no idea how God would ultimately fill in Joseph, but God always has a plan. He always does. But listen, from her perspective, all she knew from her experience, all she knew from what she saw happen in her society, what she knew was probably two possibilities. One, Joseph would divorce her, either quietly or meanly, or ultimately she could literally be stoned to death for what she did. But God ultimately fills Joseph in, and that's a good thing. But listen, he didn't fill everybody else in. Mary still lost her reputation with everyone else. Everyone else didn't know what the angel had said. She she lost her reputation with her friends, with her community. They they didn't think well of her. She she gave up her wedding. She gave up her her comfort, her her honeymoon, you know, that she didn't go for a week-long celebration with her new husband. She went to Bethlehem nine months pregnant. And so ultimately, listen, here's where I need to be. Here's where you need to be. Here's where we need to be as a church. God, whatever you want, this is, this is so easy to say, so hard to live. I, I almost, it's hard for me to say the words because I know what it can mean. God, whatever you want, I want. I am your servant. Do unto me as you will. But that can be really hard. That can be really hard when you want something so bad and God keeps punning that desire and you think, Lord, it, it's, it's a good desire. This is noble. This would be so good. So right, I, why are you fulfilling this? I 
I don't understand. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went, went what? With haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, now, why does Mary go immediately to Elizabeth? Well, because Elizabeth gets it. That is, you know, who else is most likely, you know, going to believe Mary? Who else is going to likely be able to relate to, to what Mary is going through besides Elizabeth? I mean, you know, who else is going to believe, hey, you know, I'm, I've, I've had a supernatural conception a miracle baby by God other than Elizabeth, who has also experienced a miracle pregnancy by God. Different, but still a miracle. Who else is going to believe that the angel Gabriel came and spoke to her and visited her other than Elizabeth, who the angel Gabriel spoke to and visited her husband? And so, once again, God did not want Mary walking through her faith journey all alone. And I just want to emphasize that one more time. Because we talk about it, and it's easy to talk about it, but we have to intentionalize it. That is, listen, we are not wired to walk through this life alone. We need each other. It's why we gather. We need each other to keep on the path of faith. Sometimes I need your faith to take the steps that I need to take. Sometimes you need my faith to take the steps that you need to take. We need each other. We are called the body of Christ, and that is a great metaphor because no part of your body is optional. It's all essential, and it's all interrelated, and it's all interconnected. There's nothing that you want amputated or gone off your body. (laughs) We need each other. We were meant to function with each other. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, what? Leaped in her womb. That is the unborn child. Worship. That is John is not even born yet. And he's worshiping. That is, listen, we are hardwired for worship. It's how we're created. Everyone worships. Everyone worships someone or something. Verse 41 continues. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, what? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, when it comes to Mary, there are those who make way too much of her and those who make make way too little of her. And so it says here, she is blessed among women. That is, she is a woman among women. She should be, and, and she deserves to stand out. But listen, she's not above every woman. And she is also not sinless. In fact, she is going to tell us that in her prayer that we'll read here 
in a few moments. But listen, she is highly favored. I mean, God did choose her out of all women in history to bear his son. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who, what? Believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I I love that. Mary had a very simple faith. That is, her approach was simply this. God said it. I believe it. God spoke it. I believe it's going to come to pass. And so listen, church, like Mary, we need to have a simple faith. We need to work towards that childlike faith that says, listen, if God says so, we believe it. We don't see it. We don't feel it. We don't understand it. But if God says so, we're standing on it because it's going to happen. Now, these next verses contain Mary's prayer to God and is packed full of worship to God. It's often called the Magnificent because the third word in her prayer is the word magnify. And so if you translate that word in Latin, it's magnificent. And so they call it that sometimes. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies who? The Lord. That is ultimately Mary's whole life was about worshiping her Lord. And so listen, if you want to honor Mary best, then honor the Lord that she worshiped. Follow her example of honoring Jesus and and her whole prayer, if you were to sum it up, is saying this, it's not about me, it is about Jesus. Verse 46 again, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my what? Savior, that is only sinners need a Savior. Mary recognized she was a sinner and she recognized Jesus as her Savior. Verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, what? All generations are going to call me blessed. And so, hey, what are we doing right now? We're fulfilling what the Word of God says right there. Verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me. That is no small, no small things fall from the great hands of God. That is God moves according to his character and he is a God of might. Verse 49 again, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant in Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months, and returned to her home. That is ultimately this morning, as we get into the Christmas spirit tonight, and and ultimately tomorrow night as well, because we're all coming back tomorrow night, right? Except for over there by Grinders, right? 
that is ultimately, listen, uh, giving, uh, you know, getting together as a family, all the, all the warm fuzzies of Christmas, right? It's all good. It's all right. It, 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 it is, a, it is a wrong, it's nothing wrong with that. There's, no, don't hear me saying anything negative about that. Do it, enjoy it, celebrate it. But what I want us to see is there is more. What God is revealing to us here is there is more that the true Christmas spirit is ultimately about the supernatural. It is about the kingdom of God breaking into a sin, burden, dark, dying world with hope and light and life, abundant life today and forever. And so perhaps, perhaps this is why God sin and why do you win? Perhaps God is speaking clearly to us this simple fact. Focus on the more. See the supernatural. See the kingdom of God breaking in. See that I'm not planting a tree, but I'm driving a stake into the ground and I'm claiming you back and I'm claiming all creation back from sin and death and the devil himself. I have come to give you life and to set you free. Christmas is about the kingdom of God breaking into that which is broken and making it new. And so I hope that as we gather and look at our tree this Christmas season, that you will ask God to help us to see and experience the supernatural. That you will ask God to help us to see his kingdom breaking into our lives in greater measure breaking into our church in greater measure. Listen, breaking into our community in greater measure. We need him to move. There are so many people blind. There are so many people that are good people that think they're going to heaven because they're good people. And they're living for this world. They're living for this life. And they're missing it. They're missing it. And we got to reach them. We got to reach them because we want them in heaven, right? That's why we're here, gang. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.